You're listening to What the Folklore, making sense of senseless tales. Hello everyone and welcome back to What the Folklore, making sense of senseless tales. This is our anniversary. It's the beginning of the end. We made it through one year. It might as well be the end, (laughs) considering what this past year has done both to my brain and my body. I'll be honest, sometimes I look through the list and I'm like, I don't remember that. Don't remember that story at all. I don't remember what we did last week. And I've read all of them three times at least. (laughs) I I push this out as soon as I can. So I'm Carmen. I'm your storyteller. I'm Tyler. I'm Gordy. Surprise! I'm Danny. What? Gotcha. What? Oh, what? Another person get here. here. I, you guys we keep leaving your door open. We need to deal with do better about that, guys. We've like been like ro- doors. Robbed like six times, and now we have an interloper on the podcast. Groceries are expensive. I just come here and eat food. I thought eventually I should just help. It's <laughs> nice of you. Spin a yarn. You're welcome. We'll have your W two by the end of this. Thank you so much. God. So, Danny, local Atlanta celebrity, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? <laughs> well, uh, hi, my name is Danny, and uh, what do they what do they need to know about me? Whatever you That's want important. them to know. I don't. It's up to you. I'll to fill decide. in the blanks. Gordy, it's, interview me. Ask me a question. This is global. Yeah. So, who are you, and why are you here? <laughs> my name is Danny. I've been best friends with Carmen since we were in middle school, and I'm here because I like you guys, and because I'm pretty funny. Sometimes for money. <laughs> Prove it. Those things rhyme. Shit, I don't know. Um. This is an aggressive style. <laughs> I don't know, take it back. So, as a special treat for our first anniversary episode, we have Danny here as our inaugural guest podcaster. Danny is a professional comedian and actress at the Shakespeare Tavern, where she has played many roles, most notably Rosalind in Rosalind. As You Like It. Which I was really funny in, Gordy. Yeah. Way to not show Whoa. up. Just I wouldn't have to prove my comedy to you if you'd come watch me be in plays. Did Just... you record it? No. I, I don't understand. Fair yeah, enough. That is not recorded. Oh. <laughs> well, a miscellaneous Twitter user was very excited to see her walking down the streets of Atlanta. That's true. I did, I did have I did a Twitter that. user I don't know. <laughs> because there is an electronic record of it. Fair enough. <laughs> But did you listen to the radio story about how a drunk woman interrupted our play to try to marry the lead actor? I did not. Oh. But I know that there was one. Well, that's a story. Successful? No. She did offer to arm wrestle me, but I finally said, uh, we can, we'll have to talk about it later because there's a play. Oh, no. Did, what do we do? Did you say that because you were being professional or did you say that because you didn't think you would win? I mean, I don't have a ton of upper body strength. Okay. This woman was very, very drunk, so I feel like I probably had it in me. But I felt like my character <laughs> wouldn't. I'm very, very upset, you guys. So I decided, didn't, no, I'm going to be nice. Didn't actors oh. in Shakespeare's day break character for the purpose of wrestling audience members? <laughs> that's isn't oh, that, that, and isn't bears. That what I you're... did not do original practice, you're right. Yeah, I think that's, isn't that what that means? You really need to get the spirit of Shakespeare flowing through you more next time you're assaulted by a drunk audience Next member. time I'm just going to punch her in the face and run. <laughs> That's how Hamlet did it. <laughs> All right, so Danny is not the first of our special anniversary surprises. Oh, there's more. Hey, guess who wrote this one? Poe. Chaucer. Shakespeare? J.K. Rowling. James Joyce. Chomsky. 
The lady from Fifty Shades of Grey. Sorry, guys. On our new podcast, <laughs> Meandering Political Treatises. Uh, sorry, guys. It is meandering, but, well, it's a little political because it's Don Noir. Oh, God. Oh, goodness. Uh, we didn't want to burn through all of our Donois too quickly, so now Donois will be a special once-a-year event. We are reading her epic... No. What are you doing? God damn it, cat. We're in the middle of something. Did she find something real? There's probably a tiny bug. Okay. She's so furry. <laughs> she is. A little bird. <laughs> She's looking at nothing as far as I can <laughs> It's, a, it's probably a little mess. She feels the sword calling to her. This is how Redwall started. <laughs> this, this is what happens to cats. Her ancestors flow through that metal, and now she knows. All, right. All of this is a Don Bluth movie waiting to happen. <laughs> is this is the sequel to Rockadoodle. What would be the sequel why, to Rockadoodle? Why did they not make a Rockadoodle sequel? Have you watched Rockadoodle? I have. I think it's that's great. your answer. No. Rockadoodle's amazing. There was a lot of open room at the end of the story. <laughs> a lot of unanswered questions. This Mostly is a prime because example. I haven't seen it in a long time. Of now I have to hurry. Wait, Carmen, back. tell us about the real story. I'm not gonna artfully hurt, I'm just gonna loudly <laughs> jump in and be like, No, we have to do this now. What are we doing again? The story that's by the bad. I don't know what we're <laughs> doing. <laughs> the story by the bad. By the bad. That's accurate though. Um, I haven't listened to any of this particular you, author yet, so I am terrified and excited oh man you're about to be dunked into ice cold water um i don't like that yeah madame dolnois is the one who wrote the wonderful sheep and the yellow dwarf and felicia and the pot of pinks yes i like three of her from episodes one five and something 41 maybe 41 slash two because yellow dwarf we had to split into two episodes because madame dolnois is paid by the word (laughs) She, just oh my. a little bit of background for anybody who doesn't know, she, as, as far as I am aware, was just a rich French woman who made stuff up. Like, these are not... God, isn't that the these dream? Are, these <laughs> are not, like, orally sourced traditional stories that come from, like, a rich culture There vein. was just a bored French this, lady with yeah, too much she, time. Like, she just wrote these down one day. She might be my hero. Hey, you want to know more about her? Do I? Because I actually delved a little bit more in, because she was our first episode. Mm-hmm. And so she holds a special place in our heart, mostly because she's ripped it out and chewed on it a little bit. So I thought maybe we should French like learn a little bit more about this lady who haunts our nightmares. Delnois is actually a super influential fairy tale author's author. Um, she coined the term fairy tale. Huh. Good for her. When she named her book Constafie, which is French for fairy tale. <laughs> that was adopted ever since uh, by Charles Perrault and, and the other uh, fairy tale collectors who followed. She became a baroness through an arranged marriage to a Parisian, 30 years her senior, who was both a free thinker and a gambler. So he was that Ooh. age's hippie. <laughs> rich, <laughs> rich hippie That is man. a potent combination. What, a free married? thinking gambler. Uh, someone named Delnois. He was rich and sure. old. That's how He's... she came by her money and free time. Partly. Um, he's also important because his barony got accused of treason. Shit! But was later proved false, and the false accusers were executed. But oh. this might explain some of her like contentions with royalty yeah. that we see throughout her tales. The plot thickens. Interesting. Huh. 
with the blood of the French. <laughs> so that was that was a little highlight from Wikipedia and from a book called Fairy Tale is Myth, Mrs. Fairy Tale from the University Press of Kentucky. We learn that she is literally obsessed with Cupid and Psyche, the myth, which we've seen. We saw it real hard in the Ram, mm-hmm. and we've seen elements of it crop up in some of her other stories. I can see that. Uh, we're gonna see it real hard again today and tomorrow and the next day. <laughs> who would you say is and into our the, nightmares? <laughs> who is the contemporary version of her? If you had to pick a modern cultural figure, she's the shades of gray to Cupid and Psyche's Twilight. I would say, is the most okay. relevant modern example. I was, I was leaning towards Simon Cowell, but I'll, I'll go your way. <laughs> okay. So she actually uh, paved the way for Beauty and the Beast more than Charles Perrault. How actually so? Uh, the Ram, the first story we read, mm-hmm. and this one are the most noted, but her, her interpretation of Cupid and Psyche made the road foundations for Beauty and the Beast, like made that leap make Beauty and the Beast possible before Charles Perrault wrote, wrote it down. Uh, so she didn't write a Beauty and the Beast ver- story, but mm-hmm. she set the precedent for it. And direct quote, because I thought it was funny. Though her versions were contrived and simplistic, it was she who initiated changes in the literary fairy tale that have had far-reaching effects. She wanted to make the fairy tale part of the living practice of the aristocratic salon, and her tales were elaborated in the parlor games that she and her contemporaries, mainly females, played before they were composed. Which explains a little bit about why they're so everywhere. I would not call them simplistic. Yeah, simplistic is not a word I, mean, I would ever use in, to describe this one. In a way, <laughs> yes. They're, they're simple once you cut a lot of unnecessary complexity away from them. They're, they're simple in direction, but they're contrived. Never in scope. <laughs> right, right. Like, what she's saying in all of the tales is, is pretty simple. She just takes sure. forever yes. and is very contrived about how she says that. As we um, may soon see. But the discovery that her tales were were influenced and elaborated in parlor games that she played explains a little bit about their meandering nature. Because if you've ever played that everyone tell a story one sentence at a time game, <laughs> you end up with something like these fairy so tales. So this is the end result of a series of telephone games. So she was just in a level one improv class? Yeah, basically. <laughs> All right. All right. Um... It also pointed out that she was by no means a rebel, which is something that people attribute to her because of her anti-king stories, <laughs> how much she seems to hate monarchy. But she had been in some difficulty in King Louis the Fourteenth's court, which probably involved that treason thing. Probably. So that's a little bit about our hero, Delnois. So for you, dear listeners, we have a special treat. This will be a multi-part episode that we will be releasing throughout this week. So you get four episodes for the price of one. In which we are reading what? The Green Serpent. Why do we pick that? You picked it Looking at out it. of a list of titles. Wait, I did this? Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> I have no part in this. Yeah. I washed my hands of this. I said, hey, we should do a Donois for our anniversary episode because she's the most special. Mm-hmm. And you said, okay. And then you looked at a list of titles and you said, this one, this might have to do with Snake Gate. Mm. Snakegate, for the listeners who have not listened to those particular episodes, are uh, trying our attempt to trace the lives of three boys who were thrown into the snake pit. And survived. And survived in their post 
snake pit times. They were thrown into a snake pit as infants and years later were found alive in said snake pit. Is this? Are we going to break down snake stereotypes today? Yeah, it's just a pit of snakes. Just a because snake Carmen, pit. Because Carmen, as you well know, I've spent the better part of a year getting over my serpent fear. So. Love your serpents, man. They're just animals. Don't worry about it. If you live in Atlanta, go to the zoo. There's so many good snakes. Yeah, we've been trying to track tales of royalty involved or turning into snakes. Because we assumed that living in a snake pit for so long would affect their development in some way. Right. Cause and would lead to further snake adventures we're slowly, later on in life. Fair enough. We're slowly going to put together a, an overall timeline of all fairy tales. And this is the first pin in our cork board. Oh, gosh. Is these three snake boys, of which we may have found one tonight. We may have. This one might be a little bit more along the Delnois canon than the Snake Gate canon. And I have found another one that is a little bit more Snake Gate-esque. Is there any information you can give us before we start? About this tale? Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I got you some Delnois history. I have some information about a character in this tale that shows up a little bit oh, pretty early on, but we'll deal with that when we get to it. All right. Uh, let's just dive in, because we got a long path ahead of us. All hands on deck. Once there was a great queen who gave birth to twin daughters and invited twelve fairies who lived in the neighborhood to see them and bestow gifts on them. This is the most Dolnois stuff. It's all very specific. Like, like half the stuff on my bingo card <laughs> filled out has been check 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 yeah we should <laughs> issue a bingo card to listeners before this goes live uh, bestow gifts on them according to custom it they'll was... all win at the same time what? <laughs> they'll all win bingo at the same time yeah we time. know the that answers means you don't have to give them a prize <laughs> good job You all must have cheated. It'll just be interactive and fun. Um, This was a very convenient custom, because the fairy's power often remedied what nature had done ill to the child. Oh! uh, What? But occasionally it spoiled what nature had done well. So, basically... So nothing happened. Basically the start of Sleeping Beauty. uh, Yeah. Where you get a bunch of fairies bestowing gifts on the... the Has a fairy ever bestowed a good gift? Ever? I think... Like you, Usually you, they bestow gifts whether you ask or not. Yeah, like you're going to have... Without consent. A pretty face, and you're going to die in ten years. Yeah, like, it, yeah, it calls into question the definition of gift. If it's just True. something being thrust upon a person. Yeah, I feel like gift is just like, we've got these curses lying around. Oh, yeah, the princess was born. Just wrap it. Put, put a bow on it. Just shh, don't worry so about it. So when they say All remedying curses. what nature had done... <laughs> or the opposite. What? I think it means like sometimes they make ugly babies pretty. Yeah. Just but sometimes swap. they sort of screw that up. Okay. I don't even. Is it necessarily looks like? What if the fairies? Like if they were born with an extra, like an extra foot. Or yeah, without could, a foot, maybe they give you yeah, one. Yeah. They did could they, take care of that sort of thing, and they, also they can make you polite. Did they auto foot balance? <laughs> do they do that before or after birth? Because I feel like that's a way to just cheat. I hope after. I think it's. I think all fairy gifts are bestowed after at a special ceremony specifically for the purpose. Okay. Because if they said, like, your baby has two feet because I've made it so, <laughs> I feel like they're just lying. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. I basically made this baby from scratch for you. <laughs> so the fairies are all brought in and they enjoy a fine meal in the banquet hall. 
And just as they're sitting down to dinner, Magotine entered. Come again? Who? Magotine. Our first named character. Yes. Remember them from the Power Rangers, I think. <laughs> she is the sister of Carabas, and equally wicked. Hmm. Yes, because equally... I knew that about Carabas. <laughs> Phew. Carabas <laughs> is... We have Carabas as a point of comparison. <laughs> I, I did look this up. Magotine seems to be a fiction of Donois. Carabas, however, is a known fairy name. Okay, so we're entering a fan fiction realm. Yes. <laughs> yes, Donois is a fan fiction writer. <laughs> You'll see this more clearly later. Uh, Carabas was the original name of Maleficent. Ah. She showed up in some early forms of uh, Sleeping Beauty and a couple of different versions. So and it's just like if a writer today were trying to write a fairy tale and had been like, just like Voldemort. Ooh, yeah, basically. We get it. Calm yeah, down. Yeah. Voldemort's brother showed yeah. up. <laughs> he was way cooler Fred. and better dressed. The queen trembled at Magatine's entrance because, uh, fearing disaster, because she hadn't actually invited her. Because <laughs> this is like a total crapshoot as to what's going to happen to her baby <laughs> right. now. Yeah. Um, it's a fairy and she's mad. You're about to spin the wheel of fortune for her life. <laughs> uh, but she hid her anxiety and found a green velvet armchair embroidered with sapphires. Magatine is the oldest of the fairies, so all the other twelve moved to make room for her and whispered to each other conspiratorially to I, I hurry up with their gifts to anticipate Magotine's gift. I don't know why, because this doesn't matter. <laughs> I guess they don't really deal with that. I guess they're really curious to see what... <laughs> I think they're trying... They know she's going to do something bad, and so yeah. they're all whispering to like fix it first before they know what she does. But that they're doesn't seem to... like a good strategy. No. Yeah. Uh, Magotine rudely denies the armchair... Uh, says she's tall enough to eat standing, but the table was actually rather high and she couldn't even see over it, so she gets even more mad. The queen begs her to take a seat, and she rebuts with, If you had wanted me, you would have invited me with the rest, but you only ask handsome people with fine figures and clothing instead of old, ugly people like me, but my power is greater. The fairies all urge her to sit down at the table, and she finally does so. This is like when your old racist grandma comes to visit. Yeah, uninvited. And you just have to get through Thanksgiving dinner somehow. She's crashing this party and she's mad at everybody for everything. So a golden basket is then placed on the table with a dozen packets of precious stones to give to the fairies as gifts. They Wait, first... the fairies get gifts too? Yeah, everyone's getting gifts. This does not seem like... The twins are just, like, hanging out in a bassinet somewhere completely ignored. <laughs> uh, the first comers helped themselves to the stones, and this left none for Magotine, who began to just mutter under her breath. They... Bitch, just, like, go get some stones first. They were on the table for anyone to take. She's just looking for problems. She is. Also, the other fairies know how she is. Right, so just give her a stone. <laughs> yeah! Oh, we got this nice one for you! This is very preventable. So the queen yeah, goes to her closet, dumb. <laughs> which it, I, I assume means a different thing in a castle than like in an apartment. But Just, she goes to her closet. Yeah, and it's a shed. This was the day before party planning was a profession. <laughs> this was what spurred on that yeah. noble profession. And after that, they went, this is never going to happen again. <laughs> she goes to her closet and brings a casket of perfumed Spanish leather covered with rubies and filled with diamonds and gives that to Magatine. So she's just like re-gifting stuff she doesn't like now to the mean fairy? Yeah, she's, like she's... re-gifting her fancy Spanish leather casket full of diamonds to this fairy. Encrusted with rubies. Wait, yes. is it an outfit? No, it's a casket. 
So what, like a box. What's the oh? What's the leather part? It's, it's a leather made box. Of it's perfume it's made Spanish of leather. leather. Yeah. Oh, I was definitely like imagining fit- like leather footy pajamas <laughs> with jewels all over them. Full of jewels. <laughs> better perfumed. Yeah, I like that better. I think that would be greatly uncomfortable. Magatine refuses, saying she has enough jewels already. She just came to see if she, if they'd remembered her. And they entirely forgot her existence. And as she said this, she hits her wand on the table, and all the nice food turns into fricasseed serpents. Oh, God, no! Uh, Fairies are alarmed at this change, threw down their serviettes, and left the banqueting hall. Wow, thanks for your help, other dozen fairies. (laughs) Fairweather fans. (laughs) They just decide to call it a night. Oh, man. Well, the other fairies are... I'm on a serpent-free diet. I gotta get out of (laughs) here. Temptation's too great. While the other fairies are discussing this evil trick, the cruel... Like outside? Yeah. Taking a smoke break? (laughs) (laughs) The cruel little fairy approaches the cradle where the princesses were wrapped in pretty gold swaddling clothes and gave the gift to the first twin of being the ugliest creature in the world. She was about to bestow the same gift to the other twin when the other fairies run up all agitated like, no, 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 and stop her from doing this. So... (laughs) If there's two of them, the world will crack. A <laughs> uh, wicked magatine breaks a window pane and passes through it like a flash of light. <laughs> With her bare fist. <laughs> she turns into a flash of lightning to get out. You know, like you do. And disappears from view. So now, no matter what gifts are given by the good fairies, the queen is less sensible of their kindness than she is of the pain of being the mother to the ugliest creature in the world. I can think of a quick fix. <laughs> what? Just get rid of it. Oh. No. No. Swap it out for puppies again? Yeah. I like, mean, that's precedent, but no, you're terrible. Why? Uh-huh. There's two of them. Oh. For this very occasion. The, mo- the queen picks up the ugly twin and is grieved to see her grow uglier from one minute to the next. She tries in vain to keep from crying in front of the fairies. Then they showed her all pity imaginable, then held a council together... And told her not to grieve so deeply, since at an appointed time, her daughter would be very happy. Okay, helpful. Thanks, fairies. <laughs> the queen interrupts them to ask if she'll become beautiful, and the fairies explain... That they- <laughs> not not no, that far. We wouldn't go no, that far. Just, just like how the queen's like, I don't need her to be happy. I just need her to be pretty. I need to be able to trade her away in marriage later in her life. <laughs> yeah, she holds no value right now. Daughters pile up. The fairies explain that they can't say more fully right now, but just be satisfied that she'll be happy. The queen thanks them and gives them lots of presents in addition to the jewels, I guess, which were just like a party favor. Um, Because even though fairies are very rich, they like to receive gifts. So far, fairies suck. (laughs) The, The custom of giving fairies gifts has since passed to all the peoples of the earth, and time has not destroyed it. Just so you know. Thanks, Del Noir. So, this still exists, guys. If you're not giving gifts to fairies when you give birth to children, you're doing it wrong. So the queen names the elder daughter, Laidronette, and the younger daughter, Bilat. Laid is ugly in French, and Belle is beautiful. Subtle. Nice. Yeah. Good. Thanks, Mom. Also, they're twins, so I don't know, like, eldest and youngest, how much so that really matters. Why, why rub it in? Because... Hey, beauty and ugly. Come on. <laughs> hey, uggo. The name Ladronette suited admirably for her because she became so ugly in spite of her intelligence that it was impossible to look at her. But her sister grew beautiful and charming. 
Are we talking like Lovecraftian? Like what? <laughs> what is the like, <laughs> What is the scale here? That's the implication. I don't know. She's some kind of fish monster. <laughs> is not ugliness also in the eye of the beholder? Like, how is she getting more and more? <laughs> I, I, maybe like half her face is melting. I don't know. Oh God! But it's real, like a Harvey Dent situation. Yeah. Real good at spelling though. Yeah, she's real. She got that down. She she knows all of Sesame Street and more. Uh, Landronette was twelve years old when she threw herself at her parents' feet and begged permission to shut herself up in a castle of solitude. To hide her ugliness and not grieve them further, which says a lot about how happy her childhood <laughs> has been. Oh. If, if one of them sat on the other one's shoulders, like the hot one on top, and they just wore a big long coat, then the ugly one could just feed smart stuff up the coat, like, and they could pass for one really good daughter. Yeah, because every time <laughs> that happens in TV, it always works. Good call. The king and queen loved her. Ugly, ugliness notwithstanding, and it cost them something Do to they, consent. They named her ugly. Do they love her? It's just so they know which is which. But they still have the lot there, so that suffice to console them, so they let her go. Like, I can, well, I can feel the love I, in the room. I guess there's literally another better one of you down here. So, okay. Uh, Lejeunet asked the queen to send her with only a nurse and a few officers, reassuring her that no one will run away with her and she would herself like to avoid even the light of day. The king and queen granted this request, and she goes off to the castle she chooses, one that's many centuries old, and where the sea comes right up to the windows, and a vast nearby forest offers pleasant walks. She's picked one out of a catalog? <laughs> yeah, just an empty castle? Yeah. I guess they just have a There's line around. <laughs> and no one wants Ocean Flood Castle, except for her. All I would be windows. doing would be squatting in castles if... They were just hanging out empty and next to oceans. Yeah. I think they are. They're just mostly also protected sites. So, also, who drew the short straws to get with her? Uh, they don't get names or <laughs> mentioned again. The princess spends her days playing musical instruments, singing divinely, writing several books of reflection. Oh, God. And eventually gets homesick and decides to go pay a visit to her parents. That wasn't part of the deal. Uh, she happened to arrive on Bilat's wedding day. Where everyone was filled with joy, but looked annoyed at the sight of her. Oh, no. <laughs> the king and queen didn't embrace her at all, and for welcome, told her she'd grown much uglier. Oh! And not to appear at the ball. No! <laughs> so this this curse has been ongoing for a while. Yeah. I mean, they're 14? Wait. There is... She was 12, now was they're 12. marriageable age, which no. is 12 plus... <laughs> 12 and a half. So there, there is no end to this curse. No. It's just all downhill for the rest of her life. Uh, so she's not supposed to go to the ball, but they could arrange a place for her to view it. She says she didn't come to How see... How considerate. <laughs> a blimp. She <laughs> <laughs> says so she didn't come to see the ball, but she'd gotten lonely and she wanted to pay her duty to her parents, but knew to her keen regret that they couldn't endure her and intended to return to her solitude where the trees and flowers didn't reproach her for her ugliness every time she went near. The king and queen observed her sorrow, because she's real subtle there with <laughs> yeah. that passive-aggressive tirade, and invite her to stay two or three days, but Lajernet had a heart and replied that she, if she spent that much time in such pleasant company, it would pain her too much to leave. <laughs> Parents were too anxious for her to go to seek to prevent her and coldly told her, Yeah, you're right. (laughs) So if she stays a couple days, she'll never want to leave. Yeah. And parents definitely don't want that happening. (laughs) 
<laughs> that would be problematic for us. <laughs> That's just to let her go now. So the Princess Balot gives for her wedding gift an old ribband that she'd worn all winter on her muff. Because apparently for your wedding you give gi- gifts to your guests. No one knows how to give presents in this kingdom, but... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> They're still uh, figuring it out. Apparently. And the king she was marrying gave her some purple silk for a petticoat. Had Ladronette consulted her own feelings, she would have thrown the gifts in the faces of the generous donors who treated her so ill, but she had too much spirit, wisdom, and intelligence to show annoyance and just left for her castle. So full of sorrow, she didn't open her lips on the whole journey. So apparently these are insulting gifts somehow. I mean, I think a purple silk petticoat would look pretty... Pretty rad. Here's here's a chore and something I used all winter. It's, it's, it's essentially what they've given her. On what I call my muff. Maybe it wasn't her color, and they knew that. Oh, just rubbing You're it clearly in. Clearly, in the autumn. <laughs> we didn't think <laughs> it was possible to autumn. make you uglier. <laughs> but this color does bring it out. <laughs> but damn it, we're gonna try. It matches your face splotches and really emphasizes those. <laughs> So one day she was walking in the thickest part of the forest by her ocean castle and sees under a tree a big green serpent who raised his head and said, Hey, Jeanette, you aren't alone in misfortune. Look at my horrible form and learn I was born even more beautiful than you. Uh, The princess was alarmed, only heard half of what he said, and for several days stayed in the castle to avoid another encounter. That sounds right. All right. <laughs> Eventually, she does get bored and goes out to walk by the seashore <laughs> and wallow in sadness. I like that it's because she was bored, <laughs> yeah. not because she decided it was. She safe. wasn't curious. <laughs> hadn't done any like reconnaissance work to make sure there wasn't a giant talking snake. Good. I finished Lost Parks it. and Rec, so yeah. <laughs> again. Uh, so she goes to walk by the seashore and wallow in sadness when she sees a golden boat painted with a thousand devices coming toward her. With a thousand devices? Mm-hmm. Like like her- heraldic devices? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, that makes more sense. I just want you to know... A steampunk craft yeah. coming at her. I just want you to know that when I go into a description of something, I've cut out more than half of it. I believe you. <laughs> um, the sail was a brocade of gold with a cedar mast, columbac oars, which is some kind of resinous hardwood. Chance alone is the steersman. There's no one steering it. <laughs> I thought it was a guy named Chance yeah, Alone. Just... <laughs> no, Chance Alone, that great no. oh. pilot. Dillnois gets poetic every now and then. Oh, I see. After That's... two pages of description of a single object. That sounds like a really good comic book. It does. Chance Alone. Yeah, I would yeah. read about Chance Alone, Sky Pilot. Or <laughs> Boat Pilot, maybe. Or both. And as the, the boat stopped close to shore, the princess stepped in out of curiosity. She sees nails of diamonds and, like, two pages more of descriptions of fancy shit about this boat. Uh, while she's observing it, the boat leaves the shore very suddenly. And the princess is now alarmed at the danger she's in, takes the oars to try to return, but no, no avail. Damn it, Chance. <laughs> I gotta ask. The wind raises the waves to mountainous heights. She loses sight of land. Sees not but sea and sky, which is what happens when you lose sight of land. (laughs) Thank you for saying both of those. That is called being on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) Any boat, anywhere. She decides to abandon herself to death, pretty sure that this is somehow Magatine's fault. Uh, She knows who that is? I mean... Yeah, I guess her mom said, you're ugly, but it's not your fault. That seems worth considering, at least. Right. Um, Then she spends two pages reflecting about her confusion over 
why she's even afraid of death, because so far she's known no pleasures of life, so wouldn't death be pretty okay? Takes her a very oh. long time to muse on this. Is Are her books of reflections... It's, they must be written exactly like this story. I think they're written like a teen's live journal account. <laughs> oh, I would. I have a live journal. <laughs> yeah. I bet. I bet if we hunt through through the chronicles far enough, we'll find like these books written under her surname. Uh, realizing that death is probably not too bad, she dries her tears and looks boldly to see from where death would come. But then a serpent on the waves approaches the boat and says he can save her life if she's willing to receive help from a poor green serpent like him. She replies that she's less scared of death than the serpent, and if he wants to do her a favor, never show himself in her sight again. I don't know any saltwater snakes that are really good at being on land and at swimming, but continue. A green serpent, which is his name now, gave a long hiss that was meant to be a sigh and plunges into the sea saying nothing. Maybe she's not in a great position to be turning down <laughs> favors. She's supposed maybe. to be very intelligent, so maybe she knows stuff we don't. But Could be, but seems like it's at least worth hearing the snake yeah. out. He seems awfully polite for some kind of monster creature. So after the serpent is gone, she says to herself, What a horrid monster. He has green wings, many-colored body, ivory jaws, fiery eyes, and long bristling hair. What? <laughs> Does he? This is how the Lama decides to get her description in. Is having the princess just have a character just say angrily it. say it. Because I would rather die than owe my life to him. But what makes him follow me so persistently? And how can he speak like a reasoning being? I like it when characters talk out loud to themselves. I do too. Especially when they deliver important information the author could have found a more subtle and, and concise way of introducing. Or she could have just said it yeah. in a description. Yeah, I know. Rather than have a character just yeah. say it out loud. This is, this is not a screenplay. Well, a voice asks... Yet. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, give it a few weeks. A voice comes out of nowhere to answer her thoughts with, Learn, Ladronette, Green Serpent is not to be despised, and were it not too cruel to say, I could assure you he is less ugly in his degree than you and yours. But instead of angering you, if you would consent, I'd like to mitigate your sorrow. But we don't know who this is. Uh, what? <laughs> so a voice what? in her head informs her that Green Serpent's not as ugly as she is. Um, what? But it's going to help her anyway. It's really a voice in her head? There's not like another... There's no other character. A voice has just responded to her thoughts. Oh, this is not... Wait, is this a magic person? I was saying, Probably a magic like... voice. She had a thought and a voice responded with okay, this. Okay, but this is not... Her talking to herself. No. We think. No. This is a voice okay. responding to her okay. thinking to herself. It's not chance. No. Chance well, maybe, maybe it's chance. <laughs> a secret hero of the tale. <laughs> it's just cabin my, fever setting in. He's my favorite part of the story. <laughs> he's so what far. brought them together. The, uh, the voice she heard surprised her, and what it said was so little credible that she couldn't hold back tears. She cried that if she's so reproached with her ugliness, she won't lament her death. So... Voice told her she's ugly, and she's like, Well, I don't care. I'll die anyway. <laughs> Says you, brain. <laughs> um, she also amuses that, uh, what, what is the use of being the most beautiful in the world? You have to die in the end all the same anyway. She is a real... I mean, I get it, but she is a downer. Uh, and <clears throat> Something is crawling in her skin. <laughs> she says, The voice ought to console me and prevent me from regretting my life. <laughs> Which is a high demand to make him a voice. <laughs> Telling the world what to do now. Yeah. <laughs> Said she's 
She's not in a position. She got onto the boat. What does she have right? to lose? She's in the ocean yeah. on a pilotless boat with a like, snake coming to help her like and is the ugliest person ever. She willingly stepped onto this boat. Yeah. Right? She's, because she was bored. Yeah, she wanted to see the nail just made out of diamonds and whatever. Um, Don't we all? Yeah, but she, she stepped onto the boat. She said, okay, death's not too bad. But somehow... Talking to this snake is worse. where I draw the line. <laughs> yeah. And this voice calling me ugly, also not not okay. Uh, while she moralized, which is how Delanois decides to describe her thinking... That's what that word means. The reverse of demoral... Like, being demoralized? I don't know. Is she energizing herself? <laughs> the boat drifts at the mercy of the waves and strikes a rock, breaking apart into tiny pieces. The princess now found her philosophy about death to be no avail now that she's actually in danger. <laughs> like, oh, I guess I guess I, guess I don't death want is this. like right around the corner maybe. This isn't as cool as I thought it would be. Um, so she grabs a few pieces of wood and imagined she was cleaning clinging to them. She felt herself lifted. She imagined she, she just was enacting a little play by you herself. Should, maybe you should actually cling to them. <laughs> if, imagining she was clinging to the wood, she felt herself lifted up and reached in safety, the foot of a big rock. So she's, <laughs> so okay. she's swimming. She's she's self-actualizing. She she thinks she's clinging to wood, but she's greatly alarmed to see she's actually tightly embracing green serpent, which oh, I imagine would feel rather sh- different from wood. This- yeah, well, I've touched wood. <laughs> I've touched a snake. They are not even close. Maybe there's a euphemism in there somewhere. Mm. No, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Huh. It's all coming back to boners. <laughs> a wet snake feels like wood, maybe. I, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to give her any credit that I can. I, I think and I'm ma- stretching ma- for Maybe it. she's just covered in so many boils and growths and blisters that she doesn't have any sense <laughs> she of has no, everything. She has no tactile senses whatsoever. She just right. has, she has grayscale from yeah. Game of Thrones. Oh, no. I know how this ends. <laughs> Well, this is what we in the biz call a uh, meat cute. Yes, <laughs> it is. Yes, you're correct. Um, the green make out with that snake. The green serpent sees her alarm and moves aside quickly, crying out that if she knew him better, she would fear him less. But it's his. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like to be yelled at by strange men I don't know who are hugging me in water. If you knew me. <laughs> Good point, sir. I mean, if the strange on. man you know just saved you from drowning. I think I'm still allowed to freak out a little bit. You are. I'm right. just saying the snake has got some nice snake syndrome going on, and I will not put <laughs> it's up true. with this bullshit. That's true. Uh, but it's his cruel fate to terrify everybody. Then he throws himself into the water and leaves her alone on the rock. <laughs> I'm picturing a snake just flinging itself. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Because <laughs> I don't think they just can do that. Dramatically <laughs> flopping into <laughs> the waves. Yep. I'm picturing a snake in a fedora and a flame decal shirt. <laughs> Unrelated, there is a Tumblr called Snakes and Hats. It's people who have put hats on their pet snakes, and it's adorable. You're welcome, Internet, if that's a thing you like. Uh, Ladronet saw nothing on this rock to lessen her despair. <laughs> <laughs> well. Oh, man. I mean, it's not surprising. Yeah, you, right. Rocks don't often have, like, oh, thank God. Yeah, full-service bed and breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, night is coming on. She has nothing to eat, and there's nowhere for shelter. She said sadly that she thought she'd end her days in the sea, but now she'll die here of being eaten by some sea monster or dying of hunger. So she sits on top of the rock and waits for nightfall, 
then took off her silk petticoat to cover her head and her face and await what would happen. I feel like if she's come to terms with her death, that should make her stronger or help her get through this somehow. Or just not care anymore. Yeah. That's like the later scene in all movies where they come to terms with reality. Well, this is where we're going to leave chapter one today. Bum, bum, bum. Stuck on a rock. Stuck on a rock. Stuck on a rock. Covered in a petticoat, waiting for what will happen. Constantly declining help from the only person who cares about her. Yes. you like in the story so far well I feel uh like m- almost all of this was avoidable yeah <laughs> so far that's why i'm not sympathetic to any of the character i mean like i feel bad for yeah but like if everybody would just old Uggs, just but... <laughs> be calm yeah and, and think about things <laughs> just be cool that's that's the moral so far. I like Green Serpent. I feel like he's trying to help. And he like he, he get I mean again, I think there's a little nice guy going on. A little bit. He's yeah. real quick to jump to like I know I'm hideous and you pr- you probably only like the hot snakes with the cool cars, but I'm your friend. Calm down. We don't fucking know you. Nice snakes always finish. Exactly. <laughs> there's some I'm going to get friend zoned. There's some here. pretty in pink going on on both ends of this. I oh, think. God, you're right. There's a little bit of I'm ducky sorry. and a little and bit green. of yeah. There you go. <laughs> Pretty in teal. All right, Delnora's like setting up some kind of moralism, as as is her modus operandi. Should we guess? Oh. I mean, I feel like we're just we're about to just princess and the frog, right? That snake's obviously a hot prince, and when they love each other, they get to be hot again. Almost always, that's what happens. Yeah, that yeah, snake maybe, is a person. That seems like a, a solid, a solid guess. Um, I'm open to counter interpretations. I think that that is a good disclaimer to put on any fairy tale, is yeah, that like, snake is a person. <laughs> it um, talks. All of our snakes have been people so far. <laughs> are, are we supposed to feel sympathetic toward Ugly? Or <laughs> anyone? Slagenet? I mean, I think yes. I think so. Well, I like how they kind of just, I feel like they don't ever explain, we like, it's very tell, not show, in terms of, like... Oh, absolutely. I just, yeah. like... I feel like Del Noir knows she has to hit, like, oh, but, like, the the not-glamorous princess is at least supposed to be smart, and that's what's good about her. So just, I feel like every five lines, it's like, by the way, she reads a lot of books. And then we don't actually watch her do anything <laughs> right. intelligent at all. Yeah. Right. Like, every choice she's made has been it's, really dumb. It's and, very much like... like no, but, like, no don't way. worry, like, she's like, immense. Like, totally, just trust me. We'll <laughs> yeah. together. Just wait. She's written many books. She's on reflection. <laughs> Here's a sample of her reflection. It includes a character description I couldn't be bothered to put in she was, elsewhere. Also, she's written many books. No one has published them. <laughs> Anybody can she's, write whatever they she's want. She's blogging. Yes. Oh, she is yeah. sending. She is sending blog posts out into the the blogosphere. Here's an example of her intelligence and reflection. She gets on a boat she's never seen before. <laughs> a boat that is clearly moving without yeah. anybody steering it. Like she. She should have been able to reason. She also thinks if she snakes is, are wood. Yeah. If she is as smart as we are led to believe, I think she should be able to figure out there's at least a chance that it will sail off with her. She's also supposed to be really kind and wise, but from, no. from like the one, or the couple of internal monologue moments we've had, she's like pity partied herself away into a castle twice. 
Called Green Serpent a monster based entirely on his appearance and not in any way that he has acted to her. What? Uh, she's been pissed off at her sister for giving her a less than stellar gift. And she's demanded that the world, <laughs> like the invisible voices, console her in the ways she wants. Conform to her weird, arbitrary expectations. I mean, I will concede to her on that last point at least. Because if my inner monologue constantly told me I was awful, I would be upset about that too. Yeah, I guess. like at least I am in control of that much. That's I, what I just feel like the story. Here's the thing: like I am sympathetic to her, just then I'm like, yeah, your life is terrible. I don't need the story to lie to me about like, no, she's like nice and really smart. You should like her. I don't like her. I do. I feel bad for her. Right, and I can get why she got this way. Like yeah. she starts feeling like the world owes her something. I mean, solitary yeah. confinement is going to mess anybody up. Right. Sure. As is being told by your parents every day, oh, you look uglier this morning. We're not happy about this. Yeah, Don't visit job. for more than a day. <laughs> she missed out on an opportunity to wear a really cool mask all the time. That's true. Oh, there are other she could have Zoroed this. Yeah, and become a witch or something in that tower. Or a vigilante. Like, learn, or... Like, she could have been the Deadpool. Learn uh, to fight back <laughs> with magic. This is... Yeah, she has a superhero setup, and she yeah. squandered it. Yeah, that's agreed. what I'm saying. Well, we don't know where this is going. Maybe she and the snake team that's, up and fight crime. True. That's true. That would be, if that happens, <laughs> amazing. Maybe so I think they're gonna just make out and become pretty again, and that'll be boring. But I, there's that there's that, that little chance crime. that get, crime will be fought. I could get behind like an ocean serpent riding magic witch lady. Yeah, that'd be With pretty a cool. Full mask, magic, a cape. Rocky Dennis. Probably a white cape. And there's some practical problems to work out. But... <laughs> and her name is but Chance Alone. She's, she's got time. Chance she Alone. Has, she has time. So, in previous Don Noir tales, we have encountered a reoccurring bad fairy. Yes. Does she, she have a name now? Uh, I think this is the first instance that the bad fairy has been given a name, other than the. Do fairy we think of the it desert. is? Should we assume the same that, one? Yeah. That. Magotine is the fairy of the desert and the miscellaneous cabbage fairy and the fairy who turned men who didn't like her into sheep. Yeah. I think she's definitely sheep fairy because that fairy got really offended that the men didn't want, that all these princes and kings didn't want to marry an ugly fairy, which is the same kind of beef she's got here. <laughs> Seems like the same kind of behavior. Similar MO. <laughs> I think this might be pre-fairy of the desert because that fairy, I believe, was described as tall. I mostly only remember the last minute edition of Griffin Feet. Yeah. Um, but was, which have not been mentioned. <laughs> was this mag Magotine? What's her name? Magotine. Magotine. Was she described? She's not described. She's she's short in this one. She's shorter than the table. Right. Where she stands. Leather jacket, brass uh, knuckles. And she is old and ugly, but that describes the Lots fairy of, of the desert yeah. too. And the other fairies hadn't been described. They just right. were mentioned as oh, they turned this entire field of sheep, she, uh, princes into sheep. Like, the, all these sheep, these hundreds of sheep are princes who turned her down. Um, and she just messed with this baby exchange for no reason. But I think we can link up the Dolnois expanded universe a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the bad fairy is, is consistent throughout all of this. Uh, we also have blatant fan fiction yeah. going on here. From Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, we got a Sleeping Beauty start. What I have to assume is the first instance of it. Yeah. Yeah. Of absolutely. In recorded history. Of Sleeping Beauty. Of fan fiction. Oh. (laughs) Fan fiction? 
It gets worse, by the way. <laughs> Good. I'm excited. This is a, this is a crossover I, fic. I cannot help but imagine her as 15. Uh, Ledrinette or Dolnois? Dolnois. Yeah, she just kind of write with the exuberance, direction, and philosophy just, of a 15-year-old like, girl the, in, like, high, in uh, the, high school the she doesn't fit in. Attention to needless detail. <laughs> yes. The fervor and just like the sense of of personal wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That treason thing messed her up. <laughs> she is bitter. <laughs> and again, we have kind of asshole royalty and going her on. her parents. Yeah. yeah. Slash the, her sister's yeah. husband. So, Tonoa had a really pretty sister then. We have to assume. Oh. Or neighbor or something. <laughs> Hot cousin. You know. Do you yeah. think she's writing about her her own childhood or her perception of her childhood possibly see her past her first beef with um the the wonderful sheep was about keeping your promises in a timely fashion kind of like that was the the moral at the end of that one was keeping your promises um felicia in the pot of pinks she was aiming more for who knows i still don't (laughs) yeah i don't i don't yeah (laughs) i guess be nice (laughs) <laughs> like be kind to strangers and stuff because if you're nice you'll eventually be a queen and your brother will be magic to not be a douche anymore um she's got a real beef with pretty people she does. it comes up a lot she seems to i think i feel like she yeah she's putting self-judgment in this like a lot of these stories in that in that yellow dwarf story there was that really hot gold mine king <laughs> <laughs> who was an idiot who kind of and ruined yeah. everything yeah yeah that one was she has a moral to all of these i just don't understand what they are or why the story <laughs> serves to to um display that I and mean, apparently this was rerouted through all of her friends yes during a parlor game who knows oh man okay so we think we have kind of a beat on where this might go yeah I think. Do you? I bet that's right, but it's gonna be <clears throat> a lot of other stuff. Is oh gonna yeah, we're not before we get. There. No, sure, she's sure. not kissing but the snake anytime if soon. I, <laughs> if I know anything about these, we are gonna take a whole little side journey. Well, we will catch you tomorrow with installment two of the Green Serpent. Flip to side B now. This has been What the Folklore. Thanks for listening to our show. If you have any feedback for us, you can leave it either by Gmail or Facebook. Our Gmail account is wtfolklore at gmail.com, and our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com slash wtfolklore. Feel free to send in stories if you have any particularly odd pieces of folklore mythology that you would like to hear us talk about. Special thanks to the Brobdingnagian Bards for the use of their song Happily Ever After from their album Brobdingnagian Fairy Tales.